for me at the time, it was to no matter what, to keep my heart open, to just when, when our, when we want to contract, when our mm-hmm. hearts want to close down or put up walls or, or, you know, contract, which is a normal human experience. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was, how can I keep my heart open and how can I breathe in the light into those places healing is the application of loving to the places inside that hurt so how can i continue to choose compassion forgiveness acceptance and i'm saying that that might sound nebulous but there are actually like real tangible practices that we engage in that assist in that process of healing and you know this concept whether or not people believe in it but certainly that we can heal something at the root for the last time you know so my intention was like i'm healing and my intention is i want to heal this for the last time and i believe that we can i believe that we can heal intergenerational patterns for the last time i believe we can heal personal patterns for the last time i believe that part of what we're doing as a collective is all of these collective patterns of misogyny and racism and patriarchy are amplified and we have to look at them that's part of the process is like you can't just feel something with never acknowledging it it's being brought out into the light it's painful to look at it's uncomfortable it's not going to be easy and it's through bringing them into the light that we can actually heal them and move forward and that's a necessary process hello hello and welcome to all of you beautiful souls thank you for tuning in today to the heart of the soul podcast everything nova on youtube my name is amana and i am so happy that you're here i invite you to sync to the cycles of the moon with me with new episodes on full and new moons. This is a space where we explore what it means to be wild women walking upon this earth, remembering how to turn inward to our innate inner knowings, unearthing that which is often unseen and unspoken. Together we practice using our voices and the ancient ritual of storytelling, connecting about that which unites us as we share our stories of birth, life, and death, honoring shift across time. It is my hope that soaking in these stories will bring you closer to your own inner compass and center you into a more embodied, alive version of your beautiful, unique self. Today is June 18th. 2023 and yesterday was a new moon i am nearing my bleeding time and feeling the anticipation of that release that will begin any moment or time here i'm currently on call for a birth and feeling into that liminal magical unknown space where the veil is so thin today i am delighted to have Kristen. Urbanus with me through the cosmos on Zoom. I met her through a mutual friend and intuitive medicine woman, Kate Powell, who you heard on episode 59 of this podcast. And I heard Kristen share on Kate's podcast, The Wild Sacred Journey, episode 14. So go and listen there if you're wanting more of Kristen after today's episode. 
And thank you, thank you, Kristen, for being here today. I know just, you know, a little bit about you through your website, our emailing and the dialogue we've had before we pressed record, but I am excited to hear more of your stories and your insights here today. So I would love for you to begin by introducing yourself in whatever way feels good to you in the here and now. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. And my name is Kristen Urbanis. Um, my home base is Chicago, but I have lived a fair amount of other places. And um, yeah, I'm just happy to be here to explore topics of um, life and death and healing and growth and transformation. Uh, the work that I do in the world professionally is I'm a spiritual psychology and somatic touch practitioner and somatic experiencing practitioner in training. And to me, it's all very interconnected. Um, the work that I do in the world professionally, but also um, how that interweaves with my life, my social circles, my friends, my own personal growth, et cetera. Well, thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. um, I know that you, what do I want to say here? I actually, I'm curious how you got into somatic experiencing work because, and maybe tell a little bit about what that is for listeners, because I feel like not everyone knows that term. For me, it's something that I've learned over the last couple of years. I'm not a practitioner in the way that you are. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important for people to know about this practice and this body of work. Yeah. Um, well, I will start off by saying, and I think we we touched on this before we hit the record button, but we're multidimensional in consciousness. So we have a mind, um, an intellect, but we're so much more than that. We have an emotional body a physical body and nervous system and the nervous system, I feel kind of drives a lot of our experience. And then we have an energy body. And so somatic experiencing and somatic touch are modalities that um, work to encourage regulation in the central nervous system. So encouraging us to have more instances of rest and digest and essentially ease and resilience regulation. And uh, so that we can be pre more present with all of our life experiences so that when we do have, you know, upsets or on a nervous system level, move into fight or flight or freeze or hyper or hypo arousal, we can integrate that into that healthy regulated nervous system. So it's a body of work that acknowledges that our nervous system, that we have nervous systems, <laughs> that they're very important, that they're super important to our health and well-being in the way that we experience our lives. And that in fact, our nervous systems are ch changeable. We can expand our capacity for regulation, resilience, rest and digest. And um, that even if we've experienced some form of you know, trauma that leads to a dysregulation in the central nervous system, we can repair and uh, really create new neural pathways of, of regulation 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, like learning this work through Kimberly Ann Johnson has really shifted so much for me. It's like almost hard to describe like what it's changed sometimes, like when people ask about it. But um, one thing I guess that I can speak to that I feel is really, well, I feel like it's done two big things that are easier to name. Like one thing is like helped me to access and embody like healthy aggression. Mm. I absolutely grew up as like a people pleaser woman, Mm -hmm. you know, like trying to please everyone. I was very quiet a lot, like barely spoke a lot of the time, went through a period of my life where I really was like afraid to even speak up. I thought what I had to say wasn't valuable, that my voice wasn't like purposeful always wanted to keep the peace and not be seen as, you know, someone who was like aggressive or, but finding like my, the nervous system work that I've done has helped me to find that like healthy fight, healthy aggression and be able to stand up for myself in different spaces and places and different ways. Yeah. And like the other thing that really, well, if you, you know, being in my body and finding that embodiment has been another Mm-hmm. So maybe I can speak to three, but like, mm. you know, the, just even the practice of like, this is my body and like touching myself and being like, oh, you know, and this is my physical sphere and taking time to like, look in my space and proprioception and like, where am I in time and space and in this physical place right now? And then also I find it has come up a lot in my mothering of mm-hmm. Right. Um, I notice like there were times and not, I'm not perfect. I still do this sometimes where, uh, you know, my child is doing something that I don't want them to do. Or I say, I say no, or ask them to stop, but without like fully embodying the no Mm. and noticing their reaction of that. They can feel that like, you know, you're saying no, but I also see that you're like cooking or something. So you aren't going to like stop and really make me stop doing that um so it's helped me to learn to to for my like words and my facial expressions and my actions to all say no rather than just like say no but not fully embodying the no yeah um I wonder for you like did how did you find this you know, way of interacting with your nervous system and like, how did it come into your life and maybe what has it shifted for you? Yeah. Well, I think you named really three really important things. One embodiment, um, just the experience of acknowledging a, that we have bodies and that, that are infinitely intelligent. I think that piece is so important because I always say that, yes, our, our minds are important and our intellect is important. It helps us do many, many things and many practical things. Um, but our body has infinite wisdom. It is connected to the infinite wisdom of the universe. It beats our hearts. It breathes us. You know, if we get a cut, it heals us as long as our immune system is properly functioning. And it has more intelligence than, 
you know, what we even can really imagine and stop to imagine. So it's so powerful to, to acknowledge and get to know. And it's certainly, as I think, a very valuable um, use of time and energy to get to know the body and the signs of the body in the way that the body is communicating with us um, and get to know that language, the way that that happens as something that will pay off in the long run, because the body can also speak to us. It can give us our yeses and our nos. Um, so I, I'm acknowledging what you shared about embodying healthy aggression, embodying boundaries. Mm-hmm. I just gave a course, um, and in one of the modules, we worked with boundaries and drawing boundaries around ourselves and, you know, sensing into like, where's my boundary? What's my yes. And what's my no, not just what do I think it is or what do I feel it is? Well, how does my body respond to that? Cause mm-hmm. the body will give a yes and a no. So, um, yeah, I came into this work because I needed the regulation from, you know, my life path and the experiences that I had. And it was really an answer to my prayer. I actually came in first to sensory motor therapy, which is similar. And then I went into somatic touch and somatic touch was a really, really powerful modality for me because it's a hands-on modality that works with the kidney adrenals, the brainstem, the whole nervous system. Mm-hmm. And that was my access point for when things really started. One of, one of the things that really started to shift things for me in a positive direction in my healing and embodiment journey. How many years ago was that for you? Um, I think that, so that might've been 2017. Mm-hmm. So six or seven years ago. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's wow. awesome. It feels like lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> <Not> wild. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. I keep thinking about the fact that on your website, I read that you're a fluent Spanish speaker. Yes. <laughs> which I love, I love languages, but I'm not fully fluent in any of them. I like took Spanish in high school. I did Swedish and Italian in college. And then I lived in France for a year. Wow. And spent a month in Spain. So, but I, when I was in France, I was an au pair to three little French girls and I had to speak English to them. So, and I just didn't put enough, I wish I would have put more effort into learning yeah. language while I was there, but yeah. hence I did not, but I would love to know, like, what was your language path and how did Spanish become your language? And across what time frame did you become fluent like your travels I'd Mm -hmm. love travel so I'd love to hear anything you want to share about that yeah we both have that Sagittarius (laughs) (laughs) travel thing um so I moved to Europe first in right after I graduated from college I moved to the Czech Republic and I was friends with a large group of Spaniards and I just, and also some American and Canadians Mm -hmm. um, or people from the United States and Canadians. Um, (laughs) And I just fell in love with the culture through Mm -hmm. them. Like I fell in love with this very communal way of doing things and this very kind of like, let's go grocery shopping together and let's 
this kind of take care of each other type of way of being that really resonated for me. And I grew up in a lot of ways in that type of a community and culture. Um, yeah, so I just felt really called to move to Spain. I didn't speak the language. Um, I had taken a little bit of language in college. In fact, it was the only class that I dropped. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And when I moved to Spain, I was really a fish out of water, like this American, you know, blonde haired female. Mm -hmm. What college degree did you decide to get, by the way? I majored in psychology and minored in peace and justice. Okay. I did, yeah, sociology. I thought about psychology, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. Well, so um, I had taught English. I I was teaching English and I could identify patterns of language. Like I could identify how to teach it. And so I started teaching myself and I did that for two years. I studied for 20 hours a week and I would log my hours. Like here's reading, here's, you know, vocabulary. Here's, I I just, in hindsight, it was very intuitive. A lot of people would say, oh, you must be really good at language. And I was like, no, I've worked my ass off. Yeah, you can swear (laughs) on here. (laughs) Okay. Uh, You know, I worked so hard. It was, it it was very much like something that I worked night and day at because to integrate a language mm-hmm. is a lot of work. Like we learn that over the course of years when we're young, right? Yes. And so that's a lot of work and it's a lot of, there's a lot going on in order for us to, to do something like that. So, but in hindsight, yeah, like in, it was intuitive. I did understand mm-hmm. how to teach myself and how to learn it and how to practice like taking a vocabulary word and imagining that I was having a conversation with someone and actually turning one word into a whole conversation in my mind mm-hmm. on the seven hour bus rides that I would take from Sevilla to Madrid, you know, and just, I was just bound and determined. I was like hell bound. Like I am going to learn this language. And I was determined that I would learn it to fluency. Mm-hmm. Like I could see in my students that there were people that had been studying English for their whole lives, but unless they went outside of the country a lot, or if they had been brought up on television, like English television that was subtitled in their language, they could speak it fluently, but otherwise it sounded choppy. So I just kind of was like, as long as I can get to fluency and then after fluency, it was like, okay, and now I want to get to proficiency, but I did it was a labor of love. <laughs> That's awesome. I did it. Yeah. I still, I will do, I, I'm determined to be fluent in at least one language at some point in my life. Yeah. But yeah. 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 Um, did you ever do El Camino de Santiago? No, I didn't. Uh, yeah. That was the month that I spent in Spain uh, oh. was doing that trek. And wow. Beautiful and one of my favorite months of my entire life. Wow. How old were you? I was like 23 or 24. Mm-hmm. It was like just after. So I, yeah, I graduated from college and then went to live in France for a year. And at the end of the year in France, spent the month in Spain doing mm-hmm. the pilgrimage. 
So we were in Spain at the same time. Wow. (laughs) You in the North, me in the South. (laughs) How funny. Yeah. Yes. Um, what is captivating you in your life right now? Captivating me? Yes. Mm. That's a great question. Let me take a pause. Mm. I think there are a couple things that come forward. One, it feels like there's this really deep call to be of service in greater ways for me and you know, we're, we're going through, we're called, we're being called as a collective to evolve and we're going through, we're just starting to go through these, what I see as like really big fundamental changes. And I mean, I do base some of my information on what I know through astrology, but also like, I think it's just obvious that Mm -hmm. we're going through Mm -hmm. some major, major changes in the systems and the structures that we've been, you know, reliant on and have created are being asked to evolve as we Mm -hmm. evolve. And I think people are being asked to come forward and to be more conscious participants in their lives and to, you know, become more conscious of not just their outer world. And, you know, we kind of talked about being productive and like what's in the intellect, but what's in their emotional body and what's, um, happening. Like, like if we want to really be conscious, we do have to get realistic about like, what are the internal drivers that drive my every single day, every moment to moment life experience. We don't just want to be like asleep at the wheel. So I think I am excited about the evolution that's taking place on the planet. I feel Mm -hmm. excited about that. Um, I feel excited to feel like I've been prepared through a lot of the work that I've done. Um, To me, it's kind of my journey makes a little bit more sense now as we step into this big shift and change. I'm excited Mm -hmm. to lead in that space. Um, we talked about animism. I think it's all related, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the idea that we're all, everything's alive, you know, the animals, the plants, like that, you know, we're not just robots meant to like produce and we're, we're growing beyond that where people are longing for like a deeper connection with self, with other, with Mm -hmm. the world around them. I think Mm -hmm. I'm excited about what I'm seeing as more of, yeah, collective shift towards more consciousness, higher consciousness, more self-responsibility, more community. Um, I'm excited to just be more creative. Like, you know, talking about the intelligence of the body, just a simple question of how does my body want to move right now? Or what does my body want to do? Um, 
in a lot of ways, I also think we're being asked to simplify, like to simplify. I don't know. I think people are starting to understand and realize it's not the outer necessarily, or the, I'm like the, I'm losing the word right now, but the, the things that bring us the consumer culture, consumerism. Yes. Yeah. It's not, it's not the busyness mm-hmm. that brings us fulfillment. It's not the items that we purchase. I mean, sure. Like beauty is amazing, but like people are, I think ready and longing for something deeper. And so I think there's something being stirred individually in people and in the collective that is begging a question. And I think I'm just excited about that. And I'm excited to, like I said, lead in that space. Because it can be scary. (laughs) Yes, yes. I feel like there's like so many like things that I could pull from what you just said. And I got like tooth bumps a few different times in your hair (gasps) right then. So I love So thank you for that. I mean, I I feel like, yes, I feel like we're in this time of this shift and I feel like this yeah veil has been lifted and some people are like ready for that. And they're looking for the lighthouses like yourself, like you're being this lighthouse of this like new way and this, uh, this other um, lens and ways to embody and to appreciate the world around us and to acknowledge that like we are the earth like from dust to dust like Mm -hmm. we come from her we return to her um or that's sort of my belief maybe not necessarily your belief so deeply yeah um and I feel like but I feel like there's yeah some people that are ready for the lighthouse and other people that aren't ready and like they put some glasses on or something and that's not a judgment because some people just, you know, what they might be going through, who knows what in their own life. And I don't. Right. Um, right. And I think that, you know, is okay too to not be ready for it. Cause there were things that I wasn't ready for at certain yeah. times that I am now. And, um, and I think just on that point, it's important to know, I was thinking about this this morning resistance, at least on a nervous system level mm-hmm. is the nervous system saying like, this is too much. I'm overwhelmed yeah. right now. So it's like, right. Yes. Yeah. So, so they my might compassion doses, like a sieve, like they, yeah, they're not ready for the full thing. They're going to put on their glasses. They're still seeing it. And when they're ready, they can take in what they need. I love that you put it in those terms. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I feel like there has been even just, so I have been in the birth world for like 15 years attending births, always like from a young child, like loved birth and babies, but been attending births and knowing more about birth and then also attending deaths in the last like eight years. So I feel, but I feel like those are two things that we haven't really also talked about in like our culture. Like there's not very much culture around it. We don't have very, like we just have very like Christian ways of interacting with those things, but not other ways of creating ceremony and Mm -hmm. um, honoring them. And those are really important parts of like what I want to bring to the world and show light on those aspects. And I know that like grief has been a big thing for me. And I feel like it's also coming into like the greater awareness. I hear people speaking about grief more and looking for yes. um, 
other ways to interact with it rather than just kind of the typical thing is just to kind of shut it out or like to cry and not that those things aren't functional at different times. But I also feel like there's so many possibilities of grief can look so many ways. Like there's Mm -hmm. no one right way to grieve. And I, for myself, have really, I'm feeling called to share about the the possibility or the practice of expressing grief through movement. Yes. I found that to be like so wonderful for myself. Sometimes I can't find the words, but to be able to put movement to my feelings uh, of grief have been really helpful for myself and sometimes being witnessed and sometimes mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm curious for you in your experiences of grief like what have been you know helpful to you and of course my grief like looked different like from my first love when I was 25 years old when he died and my grieving that loss looked really different when I was 26 27 28 than it does now that I'm 40 years old I'm I'm curious if there's are there if there are any stories of your own grief that you might want to share or how what things you find helpful in yeah. moving through grief. Well, I love what you named about movement and just how first of all, I think grief can be a really scary word for people and especially culturally because we're taught like no. <laughs> most people are taught like there's no space for that. And so Mm -hmm. honestly, like, I really think that that can be a scary concept, but if, even if we break it down to just like small disappointments that people might have, or I love what you shared about the movement. Um, and because, you know, again, going back to like the nervous system, the nervous system does know how to move charge it knows Mm -hmm. how to just like it when we watch animals that are like attacked. And then if the, if the cycle isn't interrupted, the animal will move out the charge. It'll start shaking after, you know, it has to play dead or it'll, it'll run in a circle or whatever. And so the body does know how to move charge. And, um, so I think that's significant to name. I also movement and Um, yeah, I think one of the other things that comes forward for me related to that and related to grief is that when we push down whatever challenging feelings they are, and for whatever reason, like maybe there's just not the capacity or the tools at the time, but one of the things that I've noted and also have heard is that we also push down our capacity for all the other positive things that we want to experience like joy and love and intimacy. And so, you know, I think one of the greatest gifts that we can give ourselves is it's part of our aliveness to like, life is a cycle of, of having things birth into being and then letting things go and then having, and for some people more than others, but even if it's just, you know, small disappointments or whatever they may be, the more that we're able to be present with ourselves, no matter what our experiences, 
like in my experience, then I can open up more to what's challenging, but I can open up more to what's what I really want to experience more of too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely have had that like shared similar experience of yeah, my darkest nights and the grief and the sadness mm-hmm. have also opened up to this like level of joy and happiness and embracing life in a way that I couldn't have understood had I not also experienced this like depth of grief and loss. Mm. And I've been reflecting recently on just the the curious nature of us as like humans. So we're on this planet, like swirling through the cosmos. Mm. And, you know, in a 24 hour cycle, it turns around like we have day and we have night. Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. light and dark every single day. Right. And yet we're a culture that really only values the light. Mm. But they're both really purposeful and needed. And like we need the night and we need sleep. We're we're mm-hmm. awake and we're asleep and we need mm-hmm. both of those. And they define yeah. each other. Like without one, the other is kind of undefinable. Like they right. you need them both. Right. And so why do we only focus on one and value one and how can we find ways to unearth the value in the other side right whether that's night and day joy and grief or yeah right it's the infinity sign it's like like human spirit so above as below mm-hmm. dark light and yes I think that that's shifting. I think that's one of the shifts that like we're being called to make as humans and we have to excavate. I think what's happening is more and more people are being, it's like once you go, one of the benefits I think of loss or going through something like traumatic or something that, you know, we don't want at the time. Mm-hmm. is in my, one of my spiritual teachers, Mary Helnick says, grieve well. And when we do that, um, we can expand our capacity. So my experience is that mm-hmm. it's like, it's kind of like it carves our consciousness and the container I know for me that I hold now professionally is very different because I've embodied my own work. So whether or not you're like a mother and a parent or a professional, or whether or not you're just, I think of it as like this inner cathedral that's being carved by these experiences. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the more light that people experience, the easier it is to acknowledge the darkness. And I also understand how scary it can be for people that didn't grow up in a home where that was acceptable or don't have the tools or have been taught, you know, their whole lives that emotions are bad or wrong. Or it's too much. Like both men and women have been taught that. So mm-hmm. like one of the things that I appreciated about living in Spain was that there was a bit more space culturally for the human experience. And it kind of felt like there was a bit more space for relationships and there was a bit more space for life. 
like when my boyfriend passed away, you know, some people would be like, es la vida. Like that's life. Like it's a part of life. And so mm. like you're saying, we don't skip over it as much. And I have compassion for the skipping over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause there are times and places where maybe we need to skip over it at that moment in time. Like you were speaking to, if we don't have the capacity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When I was doing the El Camino de Santiago, I just, I loved that it was, you know, like walking every day and through like small towns and big towns. And one of the things that, yes, I also noticed there, well, first of all, siesta, like that's amazing that they like took pause to like rest in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. and also like in the early mornings and in the evenings oftentimes people would be like sitting outside of their doorsteps or there would be like four or five like sometimes more like grown men squeezed together on a bench spending time together you know and that was something that I came across so many times that they made space and time for their relationships and Sometimes like men just like singing in the square and women, you know, speaking to each other from their doorsteps or sitting together on doorsteps and the interactions like in stores and restaurants had more like space to go deeper. And, you know, when I was in France, loving how, you know, dinners, it was, they lasted hours. Right. And that was expected. Right. In I think maybe it's changing a little bit in America now, but yeah. And the U S if you tried to sit in a restaurant for a few hours, they'd be like annoyed at you and you're like costing them money and like, you know, right. They're pushing you out, but there it was like, so expected that you would just, you know, enjoy the meal across time and like the talking and it's not just about like eating the food and getting out. It's about Mm -hmm. like, enjoying that moment yeah the savoring mm-hmm. yes the savoring absolutely I feel like we don't know how to do we don't have enough practice doing that here we need to practice <laughs> savoring presence yes. be- presence yeah. yeah and I feel like there's opportunities in our everyday life to do that and yet we often rush ourselves sometimes it's not even like someone else is rushing us but I will find myself rushing myself even if I don't need to like get into the shower and get out like really quick Mm -hmm. but if I can pause and be like "Ooh, like I'm excited and I'm gonna like undress myself and then Mm -hmm. enter the water and be grateful you know I've traveled to places where there isn't running water or not hot water or whatever and just be finding that gratitude for this water and this life force that you know we also are water ourselves so much of us and um really finding presence and even something like a shower do you have um any practices yourself of presencing or yes I well I have scents like essential oils all over my house and I'm Mm -hmm. putting them on all the time I'm a very kind of sensory person my moon is in Taurus Mm -hmm. so for any astrology people I'm really I love the senses. So yeah, like movement, self-touch, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I meditate in somatic experiencing. There's a, there's a practice that I love called tracking the charge mm-hmm. and you do you know that practice? Yeah, but share it. So you can do this with a visual or without it. And if you were going to do the visual, you just invite your eyes to look around the room that you're in and let your eyes land on something that's either you find neutral or pleasant to look at. And then notice where you feel that in your body. And that feeling in your body might be a neutral feeling, or it might be pleasant. Um, and it won't make sense logically, of course. And then just inviting your attention to land there in this place of either neutrality or pleasant, a pleasantness in your body. And then just inviting that, um, feeling to kind of settle in, to steep in. And to me, that is practicing right? We don't need to always go into the story of something, but we can just be with sensation. Mm-hmm. And um, I always liken it to like, if you were going to make a tea and you took a tea, tea bag and you put it in hot water and pulled it out quickly, it wouldn't be very rich, but if you let it steep, it'd be really rich. Mm-hmm. And so kind of letting that feeling of neutrality or ease really settle into your system. Um. And in my experience, it's through that practice and practices like that, you know, for some people, I mean, there could be many practices, but like going in nature and laying on the grass, or maybe it's a self-touch practice, or maybe it's like cuddling with a loved one or a furry friend, anything that just brings us a sense of comfort. But I find often when people's minds want to wonder just to bring it back to that sensation. It's so simple, but it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. That's my yeah. favorite. Tried I remember try. first learning about like sensation language and I still sometimes like, I'm like, but what does that mean? Because we were not very practiced at it. We might use it, but not really understand it at the same mm-hmm. time. But so like for people that maybe don't know, I've been taught that we can sort of understand sensation language sometimes by like knowing the opposites, like hot Mm -hmm. and cold or light and heavy or Mm -hmm. um, or contraction, tension, mm -hmm. neutrality Mm -hmm. or ease. Yeah. But there's so many possibilities for sensation and how we might put words to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In one of the emails you sent that you said that in at the University of Santa Monica in your study of spiritual psychology, you um, explored the question, what is my soul attempting to assist me in learning through this experience? Mm. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you can, yeah, speak to your experience with this question and yeah. If you would want to give an example of your life and sure. how that showed up or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I go back to we're multidimensional in consciousness <laughs> and the sensation to me, that's like a body thing. It's like nervous system. 
any story or dialogue is, is our minds, the feeling of like sadness, anger, frustration, peace, love. That's our emotional body. And I mean, we experience that in our physical body. And then in terms of the energy body and this, that model that I just described does follow like the kosha model in yoga. Um, I find that universal truths, any modality that I'm studying or practicing, I always look for what are the universal truths? Because I find that mm-hmm. regardless of the modality, mm-hmm. if it's true, it will align with the universal truths. It might just mm-hmm. be saying it in a different way, or maybe it's touching on a different level of like diet, like Ayurveda touches on diet or, you know, so to me, that question that they ask at the university of Santa Monica, um, is what is my soul attempting to assist me in learning through this experience? And in my experience, it can assist myself and people in kind of taking a bit more of like a meta view or a bird's eye view of what's the greater learning opportunity for me here. What's my higher self or my soul trying to learn through this experience and whether or not you believe in a soul or whatever, it can be beneficial just to take us out of like our everyday story about things. And so I'll give an example for myself. I used that question a lot when I was, when we were going through the pandemic and, um, you know, that was a time where there were a lot of, everyone was experiencing great change and a lot of loss. Like I had, uh, a lot of close friends move, um, we lost the building. So we lost like our school in person. We had to go online. There were so many like losses during that time. Um, and also I was in this spiritual psychology program where part of going through the program is meant to kind of unearth these really deep boulders that we carry around in our consciousness, you know, from lifetime to lifetime, if you believe in that type of a thing, (laughs) or if not, if you just believe in one lifetime, like the patterns that we carry and experience repeatedly throughout our lives. And so there's an opportunity to heal those boulders, those patterns. And so I was experiencing like really significant grief and pain. And it felt like I was being like stabbed in my heart. And there was so much there in terms of the layers and all of that, but it went, it went on for so long, you know, and I was doing so much work, but also it was a time where we were like isolated and, you know, it was amplified Mm -hmm. by not having like our everyday life experience. And so that question, what is my soul attempting to assist me in learning through this experience for me at the time, it was to no matter what, to keep my heart open, to just when, when our, when we want to contract, when our Mm -hmm. hearts want to close down or put up walls or, or, you know, 
contract, which is a normal human experience. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was how can I keep my heart open and how can I breathe in the light into those places? Healing is the application of loving to the places inside that hurt. So how can I continue to choose compassion, forgiveness, acceptance? And I'm saying that that might sound nebulous, but there are actually like real tangible practices that we engage in that assist in that process of healing. And, you know, this concept, whether or not people believe in it, but certainly that we can heal something at the root for the last time, you know, so my intention was like, I'm healing. And my intention is I want to heal this for the last time. And I believe that we can, I believe that we can heal intergenerational patterns for the last time. I believe we can heal Mm -hmm. personal patterns for the last time. Mm -hmm. I believe that part of what we're doing as a collective was all of these collective patterns of misogyny and racism and patriarchy are amplified and we have to look at them. That's part of the process is like, you can't Mm -hmm. just feel something with never acknowledging it. It's being brought out into the light. It's painful to look at. It's uncomfortable. It's not going to be easy. And it's through bringing them into the light that we can actually heal them and move forward. And that's a necessary process. Mm -hmm. So I think it serves that question serves, you know, to bring us into a higher perspective. And it could also be something like positive, like if I, if I look at one of my relationships that I was in with a former partner, what was my soul attempting to assist me in learning safety, joy, love, adventure, fun. Like it doesn't have to be, it could be for anything. So to me, that's a really powerful question because it can just give us another perspective so that we can have context for what we're going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can be especially in really complex or fresh grief, it can very much from my own experience, like get very tunneled and focused Mm -hmm. on, yeah, just the negatives and only the fears around that. Like for myself. So when I was 25 and Bjorn died and I was just like, I'm never going to love again. I am, you know, like I was afraid to like, I had, well, I held these two things, right? Like I held this like fear of loving someone else and losing, loving them in that, at mm. that level. Like, I feel like I might cry talk just, but like, I'm yeah. feeling just even the emotion from it is still there. Like loving someone on that level and then losing them. Although it's my belief that he's not like lost, lost. Cause I still sure. feel him. I feel his presence in my life. Um, But so I had like that, but then also this knowing that he wanted to continue to live and he wanted to like experience life more and also feeling this pull towards living life and joy and adventure and to love more and love better. And um, so I felt like I experienced both of those almost in that deep time. And yet I couldn't, for the first maybe year or more, like I was really more into the like sadness hard part. And then after that, like maybe first year ish, I was able to open more of myself towards the joy and the love and the expansion of that experience and to 
you know, embrace life in, on this other, in this, in these new ways because of the experience that I had with him. Wow. It's powerful. Um, but then for me, I felt like the lesson came around again. Like when I then, so years later, I fought, I'm like open to love. I fall in love. I fully embrace the love. I create another human being with my husband and then, you know, holding this life in my womb and then finding out that she didn't have kidneys. So she wouldn't survive after she was born. Oh my but I could feel her moving inside of me. Wow. And, you know, yeah, they offer that I can induce labor, which would mean then induce her death or carry her. And so I chose to carry her and on her terms, you know, she stayed in my womb till she was 30, almost 37 weeks. So like, you know, considered full term and, Mm. um, maybe I'm going into too much detail that I didn't mean to, but like, you know, then I, but when I found out like, Oh, and now my, like my first love died. And I felt like that was like one of my big initiations in life and Uh big experiences. And then to be like, Oh, and now my first baby is going to die. And I was like, fuck you universe. Like what the hell? Like, why is this happening again? Like, am I cursed? Is this going to just like be some repetitive pattern in my life? And you know, and yeah. And I don't believe that I'm cursed. I don't believe that it's my fault. I don't believe that it was like, that it just is. And I, you know, can choose to interact with it in whatever way. And I did have all this anger, but then I've also come to just embrace the beauty that I had such gratitude that she, you know, gave me that experience that I got to be her mom, that I still get to mother her in spirit now and that her existence and that mothering experience of her has also amplified the love that I have for my living children now mm-hmm. and has helped me to experience that in this other or in in ways that I just couldn't have contextualized or understood or embodied had I not also been her mom. Mm. Yeah. And I see you as like a medicine woman. And I wonder if, I don't know if that resonates for you, but I wonder if some of the just comes forward for me, like some of the passages, rites of passage as that. Um, yeah, I don't, I haven't like named my, I've had other people say that to me and mm-hmm. I feel like maybe as I'm now having gathered 40 years, I feel like I can feel into that like mm-hmm. archetype and mm-hmm. um, place like within the culture as I've done, you know, birth work and death work myself and feel really called to support and celebrate both of those aspects of our life. Yeah. Um, so I am, yeah, leaning into that possibility. <laughs> yeah 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 I I mean I relate to what you're sharing about you know that type of patterning Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um 
I, we also spoke about just like how our, I mean, we've spoken to it some here, how like grief also has its gifts. Uh, But I wonder if you can speak to more about how that shows up for like the people that you work with or the ways that you work with people and your offerings of uh, of just, yeah, journeying through grief, whether that's like a loss of a physical person or a loss of a past self or of an expectation in our life, you know, grief doesn't, it's not just about, you know, these big deaths that can also be about so many little parts of life. Yeah. So I know for me, one of the things that I noticed in your story sharing on Kate Powell's podcast was you brought up the loss of your boyfriend Orlando and his death and how transformative that that was for you. And that really spoke to me and made me curious because I, like I've spoken to in here, I also had experience of my love dying at, you know, a young age when our society doesn't really expect it. Mm. Um, And I feel like we just don't have that much space right now for death stories. And I'm Mm. wondering if you would be open to sharing some about the story of Orlando's death and your grief. Yes. Thank you for asking. And it's funny because when I woke up this morning, the story was really present, which is never the case. Yeah. Truth bumps. I know. And you had asked me if I felt comfortable sharing and oftentimes the answer would be no, but when you asked that question earlier, it felt like, yeah, it was a yes. So, and I think it's interesting that both you and I were, our, our loves were the same age, 26. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was 23 when Orlando died. How old were you when Bjorn? Bjorn. Bjorn. Yeah. I was 25. Yeah. Um, That's so similar. So similar. Um, I'm thinking of where I want to start with this. Well, I guess it's. Start with your love, maybe. Yeah. We met in the South of Spain. We were working at a camp. He was from Madrid. I had decided to move to Spain. I had fallen in love with Spain, as I shared when I lived in the Czech Republic, and I loved everything Spanish, uh, just the I, everything, the language, the the men, the just everything. Um, the food. Do you love the food? The food. I, I didn't say that because I didn't know it till I got there. But yeah, the idea of just absolutely everything. And when I got to the south of Spain, I was working at a camp in Cadiz, which is really far south. And we met at the camp and I remember we were, and then after that I had gone, you know, I had traveled around kind of deciding like, where should I live in Spain? 
and <laughs> I ended up like staying in a, I won't go into the details, but basically kind of like needing to hitchhike kind of type of thing. I mean, more safe, I guess, than that, but ending up in this house that kind of in earth angel had invited us to in the South of Spain, waking up and seeing all these like white houses with palm trees and desert. And I was like, Oh my God, I want to live here. And so anyway, um, when I met Orlando, we were one of our first nights together, we were on the beach and we were at a kind of a party, a gathering. And I told him, he told me that he had epilepsy. And I said, you know, that you can die from that. And he said, yeah, I know. I know I can die from that, but like, I could just, you know, you know, I might fall and I might hit my head and then I'll go in like a really easy way. And he was totally fine with that. In a lot of ways, it seemed like he had just a different perspective than I certainly had. He also Mm -hmm. didn't have the history of loss that I had had. And when he was, he, so he was 26 and he died in December of 20, 2006. He took out a life insurance policy in November of 2006. So like a month before he died. Wow. And I remember talking with him and being really afraid that he was going to die. And he would always give that same response. Like, it's okay. Like if I go, it means it's my time. And I hated that response (laughs) (laughs) because I had had so much loss. In fact, I had even had a, I mean, my dad died when I was really young. I had had a girlfriend in college die from epilepsy. So in a lot of ways, it felt like it was preparing me for that. And we were supposed to go to Chicago. He had bought a ticket to come to Chicago for Christmas. Um, and what's so interesting in hindsight is this like felt sense of knowing something that like at the time and in my context of being human, like I didn't know that I could actually know that I didn't know that I had the power to know something like that, but there Mm -hmm. was also this like really deep felt sense that I kept, that he was going to die, that I kept brushing off. Um, it wasn't like daily, but it was enough where we talked about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I guess, you know, it's maybe just a detail here is like, he was, he was such a, like amazing, generous, amazingly generous person. Like I remember one time he came, uh, we, he lived in Madrid and I lived in Sevilla and, um, we were taking a nap and, when I woke up from the nap, he was like out and he had stocked his whole car full of food, like from Madrid, brought it down. And when I woke up from the nap, he was like the whole kitchen, the fridge, like all the cabinets were full of food and just things like that, where he was just like so generous. And so such a person of service consciousness. And he was also practiced Buddhism. So he had considered at one point possibly becoming a Buddhist month. And so he was very spiritual. And at the time I was not. And so, 
you know, um, yeah, I think I'm just pausing here to see like, what part of the story do I share even? <laughs> Mm-hmm. when he yeah. mm-hmm. I'm thinking about say. like the night before he passed away mm-hmm. and he had wanted to spend the weekend together and we were both really tired from working and traveling to see each other and I had said and his brother was in town who he hadn't seen in a long time. And I had said, no, like we're going to see each other next weekend in Chicago, you know, to go to Chicago. And so you spend time with your brother, you know, we both need to rest. Like we'll be together before you know it. And we were talking at night and we were both going out to our respective places. And I was worried about him. And I remember brushing it off. And then in the morning, it was a Saturday morning and waking up and having this feeling like something was wrong, but he was still alive at that point. And I called him and he called me back, but somehow I missed the call. And I remember thinking like, that's not him. And so, you know, long story short, um, it was just this feeling of like knowing before knowing knowing before getting the news Mm -hmm. because it was an unexpected loss. He was not expected to die. He didn't have like a long-term illness or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But your intuition, you knew somewhere. It was so strong. And and somewhere he knew too, because otherwise he wouldn't have taken out a life insurance policy at 26. Mm -hmm. Like who does that? Mm -hmm. I remember when, after he died and people came over to tell me. And even before they told me, I knew, and I had this moment, I don't know if you, if you experienced anything like this, where like my body gave way, like I couldn't stand, I couldn't walk, like my knees. Collapse. Collapse. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah. And that's a, a nervous system (laughs) response really. Um, but I remember saying like, I knew it. And they're like, what do you mean you knew it? And I was like, I just knew. And when I went back to Chicago, I did move back to Spain, but I moved back to Chicago for a bit and I was in bed, couldn't sleep. I turned on, I woke up really early. I turned on this lamp next to my bed. And at that point in time in my life, I was not spiritual. I thought it was a bunch of bullshit. (laughs) And I turned on this lamp next to my bed and I pulled over one of his Buddhist cards and I read it and I don't remember what it said, but as I was reading it, the light turned off and my critical mind said that the light bulb burnt out, but it was overcome with this like incredible peace such that I fell back to sleep immediately. When I woke up a couple hours later, the light was on. (laughs) He was there with you. Yes. And I was so happy. Like I was like, yay. I'm like, oh my God, this is him. I just knew it. Yes. I grabbed the phone and I like 
ran downstairs with my pillow and I told my mom and I called my best friend at the time and I'm in the middle of telling her this story and the light goes out. Yeah. And so to me, that was like the first kind of like, oh, that was my first spiritual experience. And it wow. was like many, 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 many years until I actually ever felt like embodied in that. I mean, at least I want to say like 14 years, there was a bear. I had a very, very, very long road ahead of me, very long at that point. But I don't know, for some reason that story just came forward to share and I think because it's not something that we can intellectualize. It's like an experience that we have. And yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the, and the stories that we share about these, you know, death experiences also like change over time. The way that I Mm. share it now is not the way that I would have shared it years ago or Mm. what details or what. I don't know if you've heard also like story follows state, like in the nervous system. So like the state of the way our nervous system is experiencing the grief or the love or how the death that our story changes based on our state as well. Totally. I want to read something And then I want to ask you a question. And so I mentioned to you that I brought this book in case I told this story. And this was the quote that he was reading. So he had a, he had an epileptic seizure and it brought on a heart attack and the heart attack stopped his heart. And he was reading this passage. So this is like the day that he died. This is like 365 days of Buddhist passages. It says, By feeling gratitude towards life, I move towards light, wholeness, universal energy, love. I move beyond the bounds of my own life and discover that I am an expression or form of universal life of divine energy. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I don't know. To me, that like says so much. Um, yeah. Thank you for asking and listening. Yeah. And you said you had a question. Do you still have a question? I do. You mentioned that, um, your, the, the loss of your, uh, your baby, your child, Mm -hmm. um, has, influence and even like helped you to love your own kids more and maybe you have that experience as well with your the love that you lost and the love that you have not I don't know but I guess my question is what's that correlation for you or what's that experience been for you how is it that like such a deep loss can lead to a greater loving. Hmm. I don't know if I can say the how that <laughs> is. <laughs> um, What's your experience? I, I could say that, yeah, for my own experience that, yes. So like my first love, Bjorn. So when we first met, we were yeah in our teens and then 
Um, my parents got like, we were together and then my parents got divorced and it was like this really messy divorce. And it like made me push him away and like break up with him and be like, you don't really love me. And like mm-hmm. have that sort of like reaction, which like now I can look back and have like grace for myself. But there's <laughs> times that I've been like, why the fuck would I do that? Or like you know, <laughs> be angry at myself for that. But oh, yeah, that is what I did. Um, but the experiencing the depth of love with him and then that loss mm-hmm. just knowing that that love was possible and then mm-hmm. also his just who he was like and his joy and humor mm-hmm. and feeling into like his desire to live and Mm. just knowing that I was getting to live and not everyone gets to grow old, you know, and I'm 40 and I feel like, you know, that's a lot older than a lot of people. And I don't know how many like years I have or days that I have left. It just, it gave me the gift of really embracing each day in a way that I didn't know how to, or didn't understand when death wasn't like right in my face in that way of knowing that in any instant it can be gone. Mm. Um, so that experience of his death helped shape, I mean, you know, has shaped much of who I am and how I interact with the world and the days and the people and not like, it has helped me to be less fearful about telling people that I love them. Wow. Yeah. Um, and you know, with my children too, I feel like, like mothering and motherhood is a huge challenge, even if you have like wonderfully easy, easy children or something. Right. But even with that, it's the like 24 seven job. And part of the role of the child is also like to challenge the parents and to push the boundaries and to be this incredible mirror of like who we are in each moment and to expand us in these ways. And so Mm. although I do experience those same challenges and like sleeplessness at night or, Mm. you know, when they wake me up and I really just want to sleep and yet I am like so grateful that they are here waking Mm. me up. Oh yes. Yeah. In a way that I wouldn't have maybe had, had I not had this experience with Hartley and have that loss and then be a part of this greater loss community of other women who had their babies that were stillborn or that, you know, died shortly after birth or knowing women who had children that died at two or five or whatever ages. And that they're yearning to mm. either, you know, some that never had children after that. And that yearning to be woken up at night, that yearning for that being yeah. of, of their own flesh and blood to mother. So it just, she, Mm. they, Bjorn, Hartley have really expanded maybe my capacity for that love and that knowing and that understanding how precious Mm -hmm. this life is and has also helped me to like find my voice and be to challenge myself to like start this podcast and be on other podcasts and yeah. yeah, so 
so many parts of my life could just, I could go into all of that, but yeah. That's beautiful. And I, I remember when I was, I don't know, I think that this, this statue that I'm about to share about came forward throughout various, like throughout a season of my life when, and the statue is, um, I think it's called Piedad. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is in English. Um, mm-hmm. It's a. I'm not Christian. It's a. It's a statue of Mother Mary holding Jesus, but he's mm-hmm. really small. But he's an adult, and mm-hmm. I remember. So that this statue is. I remember learning about it in like an art class in college. But also when I lived in the Czech Republic, it's. I believe it's one of the statues on the Wenceslas Bridge. And I remember passing that statue and feeling such emotion before that statue because there's no word in the English language for when a parent loses a child. Like when we lose a partner or when we lose parents, there are words for that. You know, mm-hmm. whether or not we relate to those words, widow, widower orphan mm-hmm. does is that a comprehensive dictation and language option no but like there's not a word for when a parent loses a child that i'm aware of and i remember like this having like seeing this statue and feeling this like really deep emotion of like oh there are no words yeah yeah mhm Sometimes there are not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So many times with women and people that I work with in grieving, that's like one of the biggest asks is just for presence without necessarily needing words, right? Like, right. Wanting someone with me or with that, or they want someone with them that you know, they feel can like hold whatever they're feeling, but not trying to fix it, not Mm -hmm. trying to like intellectualize it. Yeah. Like the support that we can feel from another human without, without any words Mm -hmm. is so palpable and real and necessary. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I wonder if you when you were sharing the story of Orlando earlier and his like path towards his death and his, the way he transitioned, transition, well, just the way that he shared his comfortability with death and that, you know, he was like, oh yeah, well, you know, kind of like we all die and I'm going to die and I could die tomorrow or however he, you know, said it Mm -hmm. Um, when you were sharing his story. And I, I just also had this wonder of like, what, what pieces of him do you carry with you now? Like that are like any specific or non-specific like memories mm-hmm. or ways he's influenced your life or the ways that he shows up or, mm. uh, you know, positive joy or laugh or whatever what ways do you feel him with you and feel his presence and the that time that you had with him and how that influences you now 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think that I've actually, I think it, it influenced me so much for so long that I, I worked hard to like, not have it influence me. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, I got a tattoo on my foot that was similar to the tattoo that he had on his back. It's a sun. It's very aesthetically pleasing. I like it (laughs) (laughs) and it was worth it to get it. And I also have a tattoo from that I got, um, and representation of my dad's loss. And I realized, you know, I got the tattoos when I was young and I realized now, like, I don't need a tattoo to symbolize anything. Like it's, it's inside of me. It's written in like my consciousness. I, I think that it was such a catalytic event in my life that, um, my life was forever changed and is forever changed. Like the, it was a before and an after. Mm-hmm. And I think also because I didn't have the resourcefulness, I didn't have the foundation of resilience and tools or, you know, I was living in a foreign country and <laughs> by myself, essentially, Now his family was so incredibly supportive and so were my friends and just that culture, generally speaking, but I almost feel like my path is a reflection of that. In other words, it's like Mm -hmm. the work that I do in the world, the, who is it that says my, like my example is my life or my message is my life or something like that. Like, that's how it Mm -hmm. feels. It feels like the service. You're a living legacy of him almost maybe. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah. That like catalytic event that like, Mm -hmm. I think most of me sees that no, that it as a positive. And even if not, I mean, like we have to be in acceptance with our lives. Like, Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways, control is an illusion. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that certainly I've felt him. Um, and also like, I don't need to feel him. You know, I want to move forward and I have moved forward and I've had great love um, that I also had to let go of. So there's that pattern. And for me, that's where that question of what is my soul attempting to assist me in learning through this experience? It's like, I believe in that patterns will, are you there? Yeah. Okay. I think I, we mm-hmm. froze for a minute. Froze for a second. Um, yeah. I think I I believe in in I believe in com- the completion of patterns but if something's not complete like Carl Jung says something to the effect of like what's I'm going to butcher this quote like whatever's unconscious 
unless we make it conscious, it will show up in our lives as fate. Mm -hmm. And so for me, bringing everything from the unconscious into conscious, the light of conscious awareness has been my, my journey to be free of these patterns of, of loss and those types of related experiences. Now I can't, I can't control what the rest of my life holds, but certainly I do my due diligence to like work in my consciousness to really feel completion around a lot of what I've experienced. And I guess I'm going on a tangent a little bit, but I don't know. It's my journey makes sense now, but it was a long road of kind of breadcrumbing and not really knowing where it was all leading. And like I said, Mm -hmm. now it certainly makes sense, especially like the shifts that we're being asked to experience collectively. And, um, yeah, the, the great transformation that something like that brings about that we wouldn't otherwise choose. Mm-hmm. Like who would choose that consciously? No. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't. <laughs> right. But if it happens or it's like, it takes you on a journey and you have to kind of like get on board with what that is mm-hmm. and what are the lessons and what is required for healing. What are the modalities that work? And on my path, the Western road didn't work for me. The Western model was not cutting it. Yeah. So I had to go all these other routes, but I feel as a result that those are the, those are the modalities that people are seeking now. Like Mm -hmm. those are the powerful modalities that really answer the call to like, I have this symptom. How do I heal that symptom? I'm being a little bit vague, but it's like, if we have like a cut, if we have a broken arm and we go to the doctor and we get a band aid, that's not going to do it. Mm-hmm. But if we get modalities that work on the nervous system level, on the spiritual level, on the, you know, and the mental emotional, then we can really like, in my experience, see the whole picture. And then there's more of a comprehensive, it's also empowering to be like, oh, I know what's in my consciousness and I know how to relate to it. And it mm-hmm. doesn't make it necessarily easy, but at least now I have a roadmap and I'm a lot more aware and conscious and I can be of service. Yes. And yeah, healing the whole person. And because you've walked this path before so many, you're able to help them find their path or lead, you know, sort of facilitate that healing in themselves. Yeah. Uh, I have to jump back for a second to the tattoo because (laughs) I also got a tattoo from you. (laughs) For me, it was like after he died and I was in my really dark sort of depressive grief state and I was like wearing this one sweatshirt of his this like favorite sweatshirt and I like wore it like 24 7 like every day and I was having a really hard time parting ways with this sweatshirt and so Mm -hmm. I had 
made this deal with myself that I would get this tattoo and then I would stop wearing the sweatshirt all the time. And that's, that is what I did. And for me, that was helpful. And like, and yeah, yeah, I don't need the tattoo to know that he's with me and that he's everywhere all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned the tattoo helped you to not wear the sweatshirt. I remember someone giving me this tool that actually worked for me, which was because I couldn't stop thinking about him, you know, and this was like a year and two years after he had passed away. And they told me schedule it like schedule it. So I scheduled a time in, in this, this, I mean, this can be done for really like anything that's can feels consuming. Um, but I scheduled a time in the morning, like say 7am and then seven at night or like 8am or 8pm. And I would just tell myself, like, I'll think about it at the scheduled time. It was a way of setting a boundary with myself and that actually worked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that practice because I haven't heard of that one, but (laughs) I, I maybe did some similar things for like, especially when like Hartley died, my first daughter, Mm. I would for me, it was like about creating ceremony, like creating little like altars and ceremony. And that was like my way of like meditation and my time to spend with her. And so I would have these like, you know, hour or two hours or whatever that I would create some sort of little altar and just being with her in my own way. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, creating that space, sort of like you created the time to think about Orlando, Mm -hmm. that I would create this space to also think about and be with partly and then it uh, yeah gave the space for that and the honoring and then also allowed for the other parts of my life to not be as infiltrated or consumed yeah yeah Yeah. oh well I feel our time coming to a close here I wonder I would love for you to share with all the listeners where they can find you and what sort of offerings you have in the world. And of course I'll include links in the show notes as well, but I like them to be spoken to. Yes. Thank you. So my website is kristinurbanus.com, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, Urbanus, U-R-B-A-N-U-S. And I, um, I'm a somatic touch and spiritual psychology practitioner, yoga and meditation teacher, um, and somatic experiencing practitioner in training. I do a lot of one-to-one individual work with people, um, and in person and virtually. Actually, a lot of the work that I do is virtual. I also lead courses. I just got done leading um, a course called The Art of Radical Self-Love, and then another course called Monday's Medicine, a somatic experiencing series for self-love and presence. Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't have any courses coming up, but I'm sure it's just a matter Mm -hmm. of month or two Uh, before something. You have an email (laughs) list that people can be a part of to know when new things are coming. Yeah, they can go to my website and sign up through there. or email me directly kurbanis at gmail.com to keep up to date. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And are you on social media at all? Is that a place that you share? 
Yes. At Life Coach Yoga is my Instagram handle. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for all your shares and your vulnerability and willingness to have this dialogue here today with me. Yeah, thank you for creating this space and yeah, just a beautiful, nourishing, lovely, deep, open space. I can feel the Scorpio <laughs> sun at work in this space and such a also like nourishing, earthly, easy vibe. So thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. It's an honor. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today to the heart of the soul. If you love the podcast, I would be so grateful if you would choose to subscribe, rate, review, or share the show. If you feel aligned with me and my energy and are feeling drawn to unearth your wild inner knowing, birth your baby wild and free, need support navigating the medical system, are feeling stuck in your grief, are curious about receiving an intuitive mediumship reading, or need a safe person to debrief and integrate a traumatic birth experience with, I am here for you. I have walked alongside women and mothers for over a decade, witnessing real healing, change, confidence, and stability be unearthed in them. I believe that women claiming their sovereignty, returning to their own inner knowing and embodying their wild will truly transform the world. To learn more, book your free clarity call at www.birthingnova.love. Until next time, remember to be brave, be loved, be wild, be you, and be the change that you seek for yourself and also for the generations to come. Mwah.